We're going to look at Exodus 6, 2 to 3. So you can turn there. As I ask a few opening questions, does it ever feel to you like God is silent? You can't hear him audibly? Does it ever feel to you like God is distant? You can't see him physically with your eyes? Well, as a result of this reality, uh, our world on its own has concocted many ideas about who this silent and invisible God is. And we could probably pool. It'd be fascinating to go around and come up with all the ideas that we've heard about this God. Let me just give you a couple. German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche wrote a fascinating extended poem. And it's about this monk who is uh, Zarathustra or Zoroaster, who lives in isolation. And then he meets a Christian monk and he meets the Christian monk. And this Christian monk didn't like people, uh, but loved God or claimed to love God. And uh, Zarathustra says, but when Zarathustra was alone, the narrator says, He spoke thus to his heart, that is, he uh, spoke to himself. Could it be possible this old saint has not heard that God is dead? And so God is dead. This is one view of the invisible, silent God. Uh, Others around us will say that God demands our submission in all things, but we can't know the core of his nature. And we can't know if he will accept us. In fact, in their scriptures, God is the best of deceivers. That's a quotation. So how could we know if God is revealing himself truly as he is, if he's the best of deceivers? Alex Trebek, any of you know Jeopardy? He hosted a game show on TV for many years, and um, he wrote an autobiography, very fascinating. At the end, I, you know what I do when I go to Dubai? I sit there and my kids are playing with the toys in the bookstore and I'm reading the, the books as much as possible to, uh, you know, get the Cliff Notes version. So here's the Cliff Notes. The very end uh, of his book, he says, am I a believer? So this is, this is on his, really on his deathbed. Uh, he's, he's preparing to, he had a disease, he died. And just before he died, he asked, well, I believe we are all part of the great soul, what some called God. We are God and God is us. We are one with our maker. How do I know this? Well, it's not actually that I know, it's that I feel it. He added, but do I pray to a specific God? Do I anticipate a particular version of the afterlife? No, I do not. So, When left to ourselves, although we're made in the image of God and we all have this longing to know our creator and make sense of him, we're wandering around blindly about who God is and what he has done. But I come bringing great news this evening that the invisible God we do not hear with our ears. Maybe some of you have, I haven't, but this God has spoken audibly and has appeared physically to humans in history in the past 
And they recorded what they saw and heard. And they did this for their children and their children's children for us so that we could discover through their records who our creator is and how we can have a relationship with him. So the first thing we see in Exodus 6, 2 to 3, is that God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known. Now, what is a name? Think about in ancient times, but also in some of your culture still today. A name is often wrapped up in the circumstances of the birth right? The parents describe some reality that takes place at birth or in their own lives. And then in the biblical stories, we see that that individual lives into their name. So Jacob is a good example. Jacob's name actually means it it relates to the word for heal because he was the brother, the younger brother who reached out from his mother's womb, Rebecca's womb, and he grabbed the heel of his older brother Esau. And so then what do we see him do throughout the rest of the Jacob narrative? We see him grabbing the heel of his brother Esau, stealing his birthright, blessing, manipulating his father-in-law for the flocks. And so Jacob lives into his name as heel grabber. And if this is true of humans that are named by humans, how much more of God? When God names himself, he will always live in accordance with his name. And so what does God name himself? In Genesis 1, the narrator names God as Elohim. Uh, That is, it's the plural form, gods. uh, But it, it has the idea, I think, of The one true God is subsuming all deity into himself. So he alone is the creator of all things. And then in Genesis 2 to 3, we see the narrator names God as Yahweh Elohim. This comes in as, in Genesis 1, it comes in as God in English. And then in Genesis 2, it's um, capital L-O-R-D stands for Yahweh. Elohim comes in as God. So the Lord God. And this is the same God as in Genesis 1, but is the narrator is emphasizing that this God stoops low. He, he's working in the soil to create the first humans, and he's breathing into the first humans the breath of life, and he's living with the first humans in the garden. So he's the imminent creator. And then in Genesis 4 to 11, 4 to 11, the narrator maneuvers back and forth between Elohim and Yahweh. And then in Genesis 12 to 50, we have God just starts breaking out a whole bunch of names for himself. And so we won't be able to go through all of these, but just to give a few Elohim, God, El Shaddai, that is God Almighty, which is what we see here in Exodus 6. El Elyon, God, the Most High, El Beit El, God, the house of God, Yahweh Yireh, Yahweh sees, remember Abraham's need for a sacrifice, and then the Lord provides the sacrifice. 
El Elohei Israel, that is God, the God of Israel. And then yes, also Yahweh. So God enters into a covenant relationship with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And they begin sojourning around the land of Canaan that God has promised to give them, but in which they are living as strangers and aliens. And so they're they're looking forward, the author of Hebrews tells us, to a city whose uh, builder and architect is God. And as the story unfolds through a famine, God leads Jacob's family down into Egypt and they become sojourners in Egypt. But then what happens in Exodus 1.8 is there arose a Pharaoh who did not know Jacob's son, Joseph. And so they move from being guests treated well through the favor of Jacob, uh, of Joseph, and then on to Jacob's family. And then they become slaves. So from sojourners or guests to slaves. And Moses is raised by the Pharaoh's daughter and he kills an Egyptian and he flees and, and he's freaked out that he's going to be under punishment. So he abandons really the Hebrew people in Egypt and he goes to Midian and the Lord says effectively, uh, and now I'm paraphrasing, you may have fled from my people, but I haven't. I've heard their cries and I'm coming to rescue them. And you're the one I'm going to use to rescue them. And so he appears to Moses in a burning bush. And it's there that he reveals to Moses his name, the Lord Yahweh. But how are we to understand this? Uh, Because here in Exodus 6, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I'm the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, that is Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. Now, it is true that in Genesis 17 and Genesis 35, the Lord appears as God Almighty. So that is true. And we hear Jacob using that name for God thereafter. But God also calls himself the Lord. In Genesis 15, he said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur. And Genesis 28, he speaks to Jacob, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father. So Exodus 6 is saying, I did not make myself known to you by the name the Lord, Yahweh, but Genesis 15 and Genesis 28 are saying, the Lord said, I am the Lord. So what's happening here? Is there a service at 6? 6.30? Oh, wow. We've got 30 more minutes. This is great. All right, hold on. So first, we shouldn't read Genesis and Exodus as if it were dropped down from heaven like the Quran or like a Book of Mormon, kerplunk. Rather, it was written under the inspiration of the Spirit over many, many centuries through holy men of God as they received the word in their context and retained these stories. And so... This means that what we find actually is that in Genesis, Exodus, and so forth, particular stories are connected to other particular stories. And so, yes, each story is connected to the whole of the narrative, but Genesis 17 and 35, where God reveals himself as El Shaddai, God Almighty, 
is connected to the storyline, if you will, a sub storyline of Exodus 6 and Genesis 15 and 28, where God reveals himself as Yahweh, has its own storyline. And so there are multiple stories that are connected to one another. And I think this is one of the realities of what's happening in this text. There's another reality too. And that is that in Genesis 15 and 28, God never explains his name. And so the meaning of Yahweh is concealed from the patriarchs, if you will. And for that reason, Exodus 6 is true that by my name, Yahweh, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. So when Moses speaks with Yahweh in the burning bush, this was the first time that Yahweh explained his name to Moses. And where does he do that? Exodus 3. He he did it just a few chapters earlier. God replied to Moses, Exodus 3.14, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, we still don't know how to pronounce the divine name. The name Yahweh is actually just a reconstruction. It's, I think it's a pretty good guess. But originally in Hebrew, the four letters of the name Yahweh were just letters without vowels. So we don't know how it was pronounced originally. That's okay. That's okay. God is a mysterious God. And, and there are things that in the mystery of who he is should draw us in. Draw us near to seek after him. Some, some recent proposals, just in case you're curious, have been that the divine name, um, there are parallels in old Babylonian where we, where we find Yahweh translated into another language, Babylonian. And um, upon the basis of that, it could be that we pronounce the name as Yahweh with an A at the end. Anyway, that's just a mystery we can, we can leave to draw us, um, to compel us to draw near to the Lord. Um, but here we learn very clearly in Exodus 3 and in Exodus 6 that the patriarchs uh, did not learn uh, the meaning of God's eternal name, Yahweh. I am who I am, or I cause to be what I cause to be. So Yahweh is the self-sufficient self-existing creator of all. But that Yahweh is the one who moved toward Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to enter into, to bind himself to them in a covenant relationship that is indestructible. So he's not only the self-existing, self-creating, eternal one, he's also the one who binds himself in covenant to his people. And I believe both of these realities are bound up in the name Yahweh. So now, what can we take away from this tonight? First, the self-sufficient, self-existing creator is also the one who comes to the rescue of his people. He's not, Yahweh is not only the creator, I am who I am, but he's also the redeemer the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this means that the God of all power hears the prayers of his covenant people to rescue them. He heard our prayers by the blood of his son 
even this evening? Do you have a desperate need for him tonight? Do you have a desperate need for him to rescue you? Well, the name Yahweh teaches us that for his covenant people, God is not only able, but forever willing to meet your need, whether it's for daily bread or it's for redemption from his wrath against your sin and from death itself. Second, uh, you will never discover the name of God that is the core of his nature on your own in this world. But Jesus of the town of Nazareth, 2,000 years ago, he was a man, he lived, he breathed among us, he died in our place. That man has made him known. He's made known the name of God with crystal clarity. John 17, 26, which we heard preached this morning. I made known to them, that is to Jesus's disciples, your name, the name of the father. We might even say Yahweh. I've made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known. This means if you want to find the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the one who met them in time and in space, run after Jesus as preserved through the sacred writings of the New Testament and hidden in the Old Testament scriptures as well. So do you struggle with the silence of God ever in your life? The seeming absence of God? Do you ever wish God could just physically hold you and, and speak out loud his love into your ears? Every longing in your heart and mind for the silent and invisible God can be satisfied in our union with Christ. Why? Because John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time. But the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And that sinless, crucified, risen, and reigning Christ has not left us as orphans, but he has sent his spirit who continues to make known the goodness and glory of the Father through the Son. Third, and finally, the world discovers the name of the Father through the Son by our love for one another. Notice part two of John 17, 26. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So if you want to know who God is, look at the church set ablaze in his love. If you want to know who God, who, who Jesus is, look at the church set ablaze in his love. Because Jesus isn't here physically on earth to go around showing people who he is. But what John teaches us is that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So our self-giving love and our explanation of the good news of the loving death and resurrection of the Son of God has enabled and will continue to enable our neighbors to see God. Wow, what a massive calling we have in our love for one another, inspired by the gospel and infused with the spirit of the crucified and risen Christ. 
And in seeing God, they too will find Yahweh, the God who is the self-existing creator of them and also the one who's ready to bind himself in covenant to them through his son, Jesus.